growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, a passage we'll be diving into in a few minutes. It certainly raises some interesting questions, doesn't it? For instance, my family is in the world. Does that mean I shouldn't love them? What about ice cream? Is it wrong to say, I love ice cream? Well, before you empty out your freezer, maybe we should talk about it. I don't know about you, but uh, I might be thinking, there's some stuff in this world I love. I love Chunky Monkey ice cream. There's some stuff in this world, I, 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 there's some people in this world I love. John's not saying that it's wrong to love some things in this world. What is wrong is loving anything in the same way or to the same degree or to the same priority that I am to love God. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We are in the Am I series, making our way through John's letters to the church. And today in 1 John chapter 2, we're going to see what John has to say about loving the world. What does John mean when he says world? What does he mean by love? Those are some of the questions we're going to answer as Pastor Clay walks us through these verses. It might surprise you what the word is that's used here in verse 15. John's intent in writing this letter and our intent in this series is to understand more fully what it really means to call ourselves Christian. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. If you have been with us through 1 John chapter 1 and the early part of 1 John chapter 2, you know that John uh, has been very blunt, very direct in saying what he has been saying, right? Yeah. If, you, if you've been here, you know that he is just, um, he's just not pulling any punches. I get the sense that and, of course, John, we know that John was, was an elderly man at this point in his life. Uh, probably didn't have many years left. And there was a sense of urgency in his writing. Obviously, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But there's a sense of urgency to what he's writing. And he, and he like I said, he's just, he's just laying it out there. And it's, and it's pretty heavy. And it's, and it's pretty, you know. And so, uh, it's also pretty easy to see, if, if you, some of you may have read ahead already, but if you look at where we left off last week in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 11, where we left off and where we're going to begin today in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, it's pretty easy to see that there's a transition in there, that, that something is transitioning, something is, is uh, in a sense, is kind of changing. The message's not going to change in, in a way, but, but there's kind of a transition. Or, quite honestly, more what I would like to call, there's a pause. Uh, there's a loving pause from... And again, if you've been with us, you know in chapter 1, he's like, mm, 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 and I don't, lovingly. <laughs> but he's been saying, listen, here's what a follower of Jesus looks like. Here's how you can know you're actually a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the way your life ought to look. This is the way you ought to act. This is what your morality ought to be. This is what your, your priorities, all that kind of stuff. He's just been, man, he's been hitting that in chapter 1 and the early part of chapter 2. So my take on verses 12 through 14 is that this is kind of a, a loving catch your breath, pause, before he dives back into it in verses 15 and following in chapter 2, and the rest of the, the book for that uh, matter. But uh, let, me just, let me just read it to you, okay? Just that, those 
first few verses. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Much has been made of this uh, three-division designation that John makes here. Twice he refers to children, twice he refers to fathers, and twice he refers to young men. You saw that as we read it through the text? He said children, he said fathers, he said young men. He comes back, he says children, he says fathers, he says young men. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion with people that had nothing better to do than sit around and discuss. Why did John make that three point designation? Like, why does he refer to children? Why does he refer to fathers? Why does he refer to young men like that in, in the midst of this uh, chapter? A lot of different, have been a number of different ideas. One of the most popular ones is that uh, John is referring to uh, individuals at their particular spiritual level within the body of Christ at that particular time. So when he, when he refers to children, he's referring to those brand new in a relationship with Jesus Christ. They've been born again, they're very new, and, and, and the Bible does make the analogy of, of a new birth and being born again and babes in Christ and, and that sort of thing. And so John, uh, some people speculate that John's referring to brand new believers. Fathers is a reference to uh, pastors, elders of the, the church, and leaders who, who are, are, are mature, and they've walked with Christ for a number of years, and uh, they're, they're living it out. They're not perfect, like anybody, they're not perfect, but they're living it out, and those lives can be, and should be, by the way, a model for others to look at and say, hey, here's, here's, a success, here's what success looks like when you're walking in Christ. Here's how life ought to be. And young men is a reference to basically... Everybody in process that, that uh, a person might, maybe they're not a brand new believer, they haven't just come to know Christ in the last few weeks or last few months, but, uh, but they, they're growing in this thing, they're, they're maturing, they're becoming more Christ-like in this thing. He says, uh, what's interesting to me about this is, is he says uh, to, the, to the children, he says a couple different things uh, to them. He says, uh, your, your sins have been forgiven, you, and... And he says, where's the second one? Because you know the Father. To the fathers, he says virtually, he does say the exact same thing. Because you've known the Father from the beginning. I think what he says. He says the exact same thing. And to the young men, he says essentially the same thing. You are overcoming the evil one. Although the second time he says it, he adds, he adds, you're overcoming the evil one because you are strong. And you're strong because the word of God abides in you. Now, we could stop there and just camp a while, couldn't we? We could just talk about all the struggles that you and I face in life, whatever. And sometimes it's a multitude, but sometimes it's that particular, boy, I really struggle in this area. I, I struggle with, with fear or doubt or anger or depression or lust or greed or, you know, laziness or whatever. All, all these things that we can think of that can affect our lives. Uh, John says, you, you want, that ultimately this comes from the evil one. You want victory? 
be strong in the word of God. That's how, that's how you're overcoming the evil one, he says. We could park there a while, but I won't. We don't have time. So, this very well may be a designation. He may very well be designating people in their different walks, different points in their life in Christ within the church. By the way, I will take time to say this. Every church should have all of these components within the body of that church. Every church, every local body of believers should have new believers. We should see new people coming to Christ in a relationship, trusting Him as their Savior, brand new in this birth, in this relationship with Christ. We should see uh, people mature in their faith, uh, living out the Christ-like example. Again, not perfect, but being example to the body and, and, and involved in leadership and the, all that sort of things. And there should be people anywhere in between, just in this process. That's a healthy church that we should experience in this so so maybe that is why john does that i can't say for sure but i i will say this i believe that john is giving us an opportunity to just kind of catch our breath before he jumps back into it and jumps back into it with both feet uh, about this life of a believer in jesus christ and uh, to start with he says this and just to put it very succinctly he says this don't love the world that's where he starts. After he takes this little children, fathers, young men kind of sideline break. Don't love the world. And let me read it to you, starting in verse 15. Listen to what he says. Now listen, guys. Listen, ladies. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Are we listening? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. John, like I said, jumps back into it and jumps back into it with both feet when he says, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. Why? Rhetorical question, he answers his own question. Why? Because love for the world shows that you do not have the, the genuine article, the genuine real love of the Father abiding in you. That love, that, if, that if, if there's love for the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. Listen, we talked about this previously. In the same way that obedience to Christ demonstrates that a person has genuine, real, authentic, uh, saving faith, in the same way that obedience to Christ demonstrates that, at the other end of the spectrum, love for the world demonstrates that a person does not have the love, the genuine, real, saving love of the Father in him or her. Wow, talking about jumping in with both feet and landing on my head. I did a triathlon one time. Huge. Don't, don't do that. Don't do a triathlon. And, and, the, and the, the first part of the swimming, and I jumped in, and people just 
people, just like 6,000 people, and they're all just beating you on the head and pushing you down and getting somewhere. I, don't, I just thought that came to my mind, so I'd like to share that with y'all. Don't love the world because the love of the Father is not in you. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I might be thinking, whoa, <laughs> there's, there's some stuff in this world I love. I love Chunky Monkey ice cream. There's some stuff in this world, I, 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 there's some people in this world I love. Most of you are probably aware that, that in the original language that the New Testament was written in, in Greek, there are at least three words uh, that the Greeks used that are all translated into English as simply love. They had at least, at least three, actually it's more than that I believe, but at least three very distinct words that had different meanings. But in English it's just translated as love. Some of you heard this before. Eros uh, is a description of the, of the kind of uh, more sensual, uh, more uh, physical, more, uh, you know, passionate. Yeah, mommy, daddy kind of love. Yeah, eros is, is that more physical, sensual. That's a, in, in English, it just translates as love. In the New Testament, you're just going to read it. But in the Greek, it would, it would have eros in a particular place. Or philos, which it has more to do with the, the kindness and the fondness and the, the, the affection, the emotional kind of aspect of, of love. It's philos. And then, as we preachers always like to point out, there is agape, which we always like to uh, get a hearty amen when we say agape is God kind of love. About half of y'all were ready for that. So. Agape, we love to point out that agape is the God kind of love because agape is the, uh, it, for one thing, it's the kind, it's the word that's always used to describe God's love. It's always agape in, in the Bible when, when talking about God's love. It's always agape that's used. And because agape stands for uh, sacrificial, all in, uh, uh, think of the other person uh, kind of love. So it might surprise you to find what the word is that's used here in verse 15. Let me just say to you, it's not eros. It's not the sensual, physical idea of love, which you might expect since it's talking about the love of the world. But it's not. It's not even philos. It's not the, the fondness or kindness or brotherly kindness kind of love. Actually, the word used in verse 15 is agape, the God kind of love. Do not God kind of love the world, which is precisely the point John's not saying, are you taking notes? John's not saying that it's wrong to love some things in this world. It's not wrong. You, you beach people. It's not wrong to say, man, I love the ocean. I, I love the beach, love the ocean. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to love the ocean. I don't understand it, but it's not wrong to love the No, it's, it's, it's fine. It's not wrong to love people. It's not wrong to love making love to your spouse. I'll just let me amen myself on that. Amen. Right. It's, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to love Clemson football. <laughs> it's not wrong to love camping. It's not wrong to, to love uh, Manny Petties if you're into that kind of thing. Or massages. It's not wrong to love to play golf. It's not wrong to love gardening. It's not even wrong to love endless shrimp at Red Lobster. What is wrong 
is loving anything in the same way or to the same degree or to the same priority that I am to love God. That's what's wrong. That's what he's saying. Don't God kind of love the world. Agape love, sacrificial, all in, thinking the other person kind of love is reserved, ladies and gentlemen, for God and for the people he has asked us to love in his name. Don't love in that way. Don't love the world. Why? Let me give you some reasons. One, don't love the world because it comes from a bad source. Look at what he says in verse 16, and I'll just read it from the screen. For all that is in the world, watch what he says. This is a bad source. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I want you to see something. I want you to see the correlation between what John says here. Particularly, pay attention to this. Particularly this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and boastful pride of life. I want you to, I want you to see the comparison, the connection between what John says there and the first sin that ever transpired found in the book of Genesis. Uh, you know that, that uh, if you're familiar with the story, you know that Satan comes to Adam and Eve, comes particularly to Eve in the form of a serpent, and he Uh, begins to tempt her uh, to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God has forbidden them to eat of. And you can go back and read it and read the, the way he did this and the temptation that he brought. But watch Eve's response, keeping in mind what John just read. Watch Eve's response in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, right? That it was a delight to the eyes. It looked good. It looked good. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was an apple. I know, I don't know what it was, but I know whatever it was, it's like, wow, that, that looks good. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. What is that? The boastful pride of life. Remember, that's what it's, oh, I, I can, you mean I can be like God? When she saw that, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he Eight. What does that tell us? What it tells us, ladies and gentlemen, is that nothing has really changed. That Satan still operates the way he has always operated. That, that he uses the things of the world. Even Listen, even things that we wouldn't necessarily think of as bad or sinful, he uses those to, to uh, impact our relationship with the God, this priority that we're supposed to have with God. See, it, it, it's coming, this is coming from a bad source. It's, 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 it's going to affect us because it comes from a bad source. It's not from God, he says. This, this kind of love, this love where this is taking priority of your life, where this is taking possession of your life, that's not from God. So it comes from a bad source, and it will have a bad ending. Look at what he says now in, I think, verse 17. You with me? Watch, he says, the world is what? The world is passing away. All all that stuff in the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. Now, first off, 
If you're reading that and you first and you first maybe you're thinking, well, John sure got that one wrong. Uh, he wrote that it's the last hour, and that was two thousand years ago, and we're still here. So John sure got that wrong. Listen, you wouldn't necessarily know it from reading verse eighteen in English, but in the Greek, there's no definite article. Uh, and there's no def- no definite article appears here. It would literally read, "Little children, last hour." Not the last hour. It literally read, little children, last hour. Now listen to me. That doesn't mean that John doesn't have a particular uh, time frame in mind. What it does mean is that he's not saying that right then, right now, uh, as I'm writing this, I'm living in the last time, uh, in the return of Christ and the, the end of the world. And it's gonna, He's not saying that that particular time period that he was living was the end time. But what he is saying is is that ever since the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, ever since his ascension back into heaven, ever since that moment, ladies and gentlemen, you and I have been living in the last times, the, the last days. We have been living in, in, the, in the age period where nothing else needed to be done in the economy of God for the salvation of man. Nothing else has to happen for God to bring this whole thing to his preordained conclusion as it will come to its conclusion that in that sense we are living in the last days. And John says, listen, don't, don't let that stuff have, have such a, a, a effect on you that it becomes the priority of your life because it's going to have a bad ending. It's passing away. Why? And I'm, I'm guilty of this. Why do we spend so much time, effort, focus, energy, whatever? Why do we spend so much of it on stuff that in the end is just going to pass away? That won't even matter in the whole scheme of eternity. Why do we do that? Last Friday night, Cindy and I went and picked up the popcorn that we were going to give out at Public Safety Day the next day, last Saturday. Two gigantic, gigantic black trash bags full of popcorn that the movie theater, by the way, graciously gave uh, to us. Uh, We didn't ask for them to give it to us, by the way. I never ask for, we're willing to to pay, God provides, but but they want to do that anyway. I'd get a plug-in for them, but I can't remember the name of the theater. Anyway, uh, down there off Atlantic, Two gigantic black trash bags crammed into Cindy's Toyota Venza. And it's warm, and it's buttery, and the smell is wafting out. And I, I swear, you don't think I'm crazy, but I swear, I heard that popcorn say, Come here, get a handful, get two. Don't worry about cholesterol, don't worry about calories. Don't worry about indigestion, eating too late. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Take, eat all of it, enjoy it. Of course, I didn't because it was Public Safety Day popcorn. It was for Public Safety Day, so we didn't. But the next day, lo and behold, after Public Safety Day was over, there was about maybe a, I don't know, a quarter to a third of one of those giant black trash bags left over of popcorn. Y'all do it go, ah. Uh, come on. Ah, uh, like a quarter of popcorn. I mean, I, yeah. Amen, brother. You can't let it go to waste. Nobody else was volunteering, so I volunteered. I'll do it. I'll take it home with me. I'll, I'll do it. So I took it home, and I, I, I freely admit to you, I ate some Saturday afternoon, and it was good. 
I ate some Sunday afternoon after life group and everything. Sat down to watch some golf. I ate some and it was good. Monday night, I sat down to watch some TV. and There beside the end of my couch is that big black bag of popcorn. There's a lot in there. And when I, when I went to open it, I, I noticed something. I noticed that it, it, didn't, it didn't have the same aroma that it had. It didn't have that nice, buttery, roasted aroma. In fact, as a matter of fact, it, uh, it kind of smelled kind of rancid. And so I said to Cindy, here, taste this. No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. So, so I took and I, and I ate some, and it, sure enough, it was, it was not good. It was, I don't know if butter had gone bad or whatever, but, but it, it, was, it was not good. Now, how could something that, was, that, that looked so fantastic and smelled so fantastic and tasted so fantastic, how could it go so wrong? How could it go so bad? John's saying that's exactly what's going to happen to the stuff of this world. Oh, it looks so good. It smells so good. It tastes so good. It entices you. It, it wants you to, 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 to in, indulge. But understand that it, in the end, it's all passing away. That's what we want you to understand. There, there is in this world a scientific law known as the second law of thermodynamics. Some of you are familiar with it. It's also known as the law of entropy. It basically means that everything in this world, everything in the universe is breaking down, fading away, uh, breaking up, falling apart. It is a universal law of science. It's exactly what John was describing 2,000 years ago. He's saying, hey guys, it's all going to pass away. Just keep that in mind when you're selling out to this or you're, you think you've got to have that or you're devoting so much time to this. Don't, don't love the world. And let me give you just three applications or reasons why you shouldn't love the world. First, because the world will draw you. The world will draw you. It, it, will, it will say, come here. Come over here. Get in this. Try this. And, and just like I said earlier, it's not wrong to, to love interests or hobbies or, or to love people. But, but as, as it draws me, here's what happens. When something draws you, it is almost always automatically drawing you away from something, or in this case, someone else. It's drawing you away from, in John's reference, the world, the things of the world will draw you away from this priority of your relationship with the living God. He said, be careful, that's what you've got to watch out for. Okay, love the ocean. Love golf or, or love this. In, okay, but not the way you love God. Not to the degree that you love God. Not the same interest that you love God or the same time and priority and all those kind of things that you would love God. Don't let that happen. It will, it will draw you away. Not only will it draw you away, but it will distract you. The world will distract you. When it draws you away, when it pulls you away from that thing, it distracts you from the more important thing, from the main thing, which is this relationship with the living God. It distracts you. And it says, hey, this is, this is better. This is more important. Focus on this. Come over here and just be involved in this. I, I know I've told some of y'all this story about a guy that I was sharing Christ with one time, and he just sat so politely and listened, to, seemed to be intently listening to every word that I said. And when I finished the thing, you know, you, you want to you wanna close the net, so to speak, as evangelists will say, you want to draw the net. And, uh, and so I said to that, to that person, I'll never forget his name. I mean, I, 
I might forget when I'm 82 if I'm still here, but, but his name was Freddie. And I remember Freddie. And, uh, and I said, Freddie, have you understood everything that I've said to you about our relationship with Christ and about our sin and our need for a Savior and, and, and how that uh, was procured for us on the cross? He said, yeah, I understand all that. Freddie, do you have any questions about anything? No, I don't have any questions. I said, Freddie, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to receive Jesus Christ right now as your personal Lord and Savior? Freddie, just as calm as can be, looked at me and said, yeah. I said, why? He says, because I love getting drunk and chasing women. That's what he said. I love getting drunk and chasing women. You know, you know what he's saying? Th- this has this drawn me away. This is distracting me from that. I, I hear what you're saying. Maybe that's even true. But, 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 but I like this. I'm enjoying this over here. It's the distraction of the world. And the world will draw you and it will distract you. And the ultimate result is the world will destroy you. That's, that's, the, that's the goal here. Listen to me. If you are here and you are without a relationship with Jesus Christ or you're watching this video and you're without a relationship with Jesus Christ, please understand this. Satan's intent, the things of the world, he will use them to draw you and to distract you right into hell. Right into hell. That is his intent to destroy you. I have uh, had the privilege of, of traveling all over this world and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ a, a, a number of places in the world. It's been a very great privilege that I've had to get to do that. And I have discovered a universal truth. Wherever I've traveled in the world, there is a direct correlation between people's economic level and their receptivity to the gospel. I have found that the more stuff people have, the more money, the more... Uh, things, the more whatever that they have, I have found the less receptive they are to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I've found that on every continent I've ever been, in every country that I've ever been, that the, that the, that the more a person has, the harder it is for that person to have a relationship with the living God. Please understand, it's not harder from God's perspective. From God's perspective, every person has the exact same need. Every person is a sinner in need of a Savior. From God's perspective, every person is redeemed the exact same way through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. From God's perspective, every person, let all who will come, any person, rich, poor, in between, whatever, can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. From God's perspective, it's not harder, but from their perspective, it's harder. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19. And someone came to Him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Here's a guy searching for, man, I I, want to know that when this life is over, that this is not going to be the end for me. Uh, What can I do to obtain eternal life? And he, meaning Jesus, said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is probing this guy. He's trying to see if he recognizes who it is he's talking to. Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now watch where Jesus is going. He, he, he knows this guy. He's trying to lead him to where he needs to be. And then he said to him, well, which ones? Keep the commandments. He said, well, which ones? He said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Most of us in here could say amen to every one of those. Right? And that's what he says. He says, uh, he says, the young man said to him, well, all these things I have kept. I've done all those things, but watch this. What am I still lacking? Isn't that interesting? That he still seems to know within the recesses of his soul that, that something's not right. What am I still lacking here? And so Jesus gets to what this guy's real problem is. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete... 
Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and go back. Yeah, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Listen, he's not saying that giving all your stuff away, giving to the poor, that that's what gets you into heaven. What he's saying is this was this man's obstacle. And we learn that because what's it? It was, it was, this was this man's obstacle from following Jesus. Because, look what he says, But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Here it is, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what the world, the stuff, this, this pull, this draw, this attention-grabbing thing that says, hey, okay, God, yeah, Jesus, yeah, that's all fine and good. But over here, here's where you want to spend your time. Here's where you want to spend your money. Here's where you, here's where you want to spend your life. I was thinking about this this week. Let me just pick on students in here. Those of you that are in middle school or high school or whatever. Someday, you're going to graduate, Lord willing, and, uh, and you're going to be deciding that where you're going, what you're going to do with your life. Some of you say, well, I want to go to college. Some of you say, well, I want to go in the military. Some of you say, well, I just want to go into the labor field, the workforce. I just want to, want to go in. And, and one of the things that will always be in your mind and that people will even be asking you, they'll be saying, what do you want to do uh, when you graduate? Where, where do you want to go? And, and, and what, what you'll find in your mind is you'll be saying, well, what, what would make me the most money? That's what's going to come to your right? What will make me the most money? Or what will make me the happiest? Happiness being defined by what? having the most money, right? <laughs> having the biggest house, having the nicest car, having the nice whatever. Well, I, I want to make, uh, make a good living. What if, what if, what if you started that, the, to answer that question by saying, whatever God wants me to do, that's what I want to do with my life. What if God wants you to go give your life to, to orphans in, in some third world country? What if God wants you, you understand what I'm saying? Same thing for all of us. We can make that application. The world wants to destroy you you and I have to ask this question. We need to evaluate our lives on a continual basis. And what I need to be asking myself is, does this thing that I, that I enjoy, that I, that, I, that I love doing, or, or this person, or, or whatever, are they taking a priority on, in my life? If they are, I need to honestly evaluate that, and I, and I need to say, God, help me to do some course correction here so that I keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is my walk with Jesus Christ. Don't love the world. Thanks, Pastor, for that sobering reminder of what love for the world will do to us. As Pastor Clay showed us in today's message, Satan is always looking for ways to draw us toward the things of this world and to use those things to distract us from what is really important, what really matters. As we heard today, it doesn't mean we can't enjoy things in this world, but we have to be careful not to let anything or anyone take priority over our relationship with God. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens and the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture.
and taking our culture to the cross. 